You'd open your Bibles to Matthew 26. The 26th chapter of Matthew, verse 36 through 46, will be our key text this morning as we continue our sermon series, Following Jesus. We always want to take time when we look in God's Word to apply it to our lives. It is God's Word, but it's God's Word given for us in order that we might know how to live. And obviously, based on the passage of Scripture we study or the topic we study on a given Sunday, things might go a little more academic or doctrinal or things might go a little more pragmatic or real life. Two weeks ago, we talked about moving from anxiety to peace. Last week, we talked about the real Lord's Prayer. And this week, I've entitled our sermon, When I Am Troubled. And it is a reality that all of us deal with troubles in life. And we look at a situation in Jesus' life, which is terribly troublesome when we think about the context of what was happening in the Garden of Gethsemane. And just the mention of that name, some of you know exactly what was going on. And some of you have thought through that and prayed and studied about that. But we use this idea of when I am troubled. And what we're going to do is look at what did Jesus do And what can we learn from Jesus for the troubles that we have in our lives? There's a hymn in your hymn book. Yes, you know those blue books in the rack in front of you that we don't pull out very often because we have big screens. Uh, That hymn book has a good old hymn, Man of Sorrows. I think it's number 175. Man of Sorrows, and it says of Jesus, and I'm going to read these five verses. I promise I'll not sing or I'll try not to. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to proclaim, proclaim, hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood, hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless, we, spotless Lamb of God, was he. Full redemption can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. Lifted up was He to die. It is finished was His cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. When He comes, our glorious King, to His kingdom us to bring, then anew this song we'll sing. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That is our God. In flesh, Jesus, our Savior. As we have that in mind, and if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, would you stand up, and I'm going to read to us Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46 in my NIV. Then Jesus went with His disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Verse 39. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, make this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. 
Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Pray with me. Our Father, those of us that are members of Southview, and have been for more than a year, were around last year when we portrayed this day of resurrection, our Easter drama right here on this stage. And we can see these things in our minds. At least we can see them as acted by those brothers and sisters of our church family. But if we stretch our minds beyond what we know and imagine the true reality of what was going on, we're absolutely astounded if not horrified, frightened to death of what Jesus was facing and what this meant. So when we use a phrase like, when I have trouble, we think if Jesus can go through something like this, oh, how he can support us when we go through anything. So, Father, we come now praying that you speak to us by your word about who you are, and about what Jesus has done and how he can be our example. We pray this in his name. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You think about our context of what's happening here. Jesus has lived his life sinless and perfect and then led a ministry career of three years in which he was a teacher and he also did miracles and astounded people. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, anybody opposed him could not stand against him. They were astonished and astounded when he spoke to them. And so this man, Jesus, but he wasn't just to be a teacher, a philosopher. No, we believe, according to God's word, that he was God's son. He was God in flesh, made as a man, and he lived this perfect life in order that he might be a sacrifice for our sins. And he is walking to the cross crucifixion in which his body will be broken, his blood will be shed in order to pay the penalty for our sins. And in these last few sermons we've preached, we've covered uh, where he's taught his disciples. That was in John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. And he's telling them all the things they need to know when he's not going to be with them anymore physically. And he's telling them about the Holy Spirit that's going to come. And then you have what we call the Last Supper, which was for them the Passover meal, as he's preparing them to see that he, Jesus, is the ultimate Passover lamb to pay the penalty for our sins. You have the denial of Peter. The betrayal of Judas has in part taken place, but it's going to come full circle in our next sermon. And now they've gone to Gethsemane. This word Gethsemane literally means olive press. 
This is in an olive grove. You would leave Jerusalem, go down through the valley, up the other side there, and to this olive grove. And this is a place, for whatever reason, Jesus liked to go to pray. And so here he brings all his disciples with him, this larger group, but then he takes just three of them, Peter, James, and John, a little further into the olive grove as he's going to pray. And our scripture memory verse of the month points us the same direction. Now, it's from John 16, 33, but read it with me. John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. Some of you may need to take your highlighter or your pen right now and circle or underline or write around, in this world you will have trouble. You've lived under this mistaken conception that as believers in Jesus, you're never going to have trouble, and you're thinking you got a raw deal. Well, let me tell you, the Bible doesn't say we'll never have trouble. The Bible does say we will always have Jesus to help us through our trouble and the Holy Spirit within us. The Bible says in this world you will have trouble, But take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus, God in flesh, said to his disciples then, says to us today, that he has overcome the world. So with that in mind, let's go to our scripture. And your first point on your outline is, what do I do when when troubled? What do I do when troubled? Well, look at our scripture. Verse 36, what did Jesus do? Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. You can write down one word to answer that question. Four letters, P-R-A-Y. You might need to write them in big capital letters. What do I do when I'm in trouble? Pray. But what do you most often do when you're in trouble? What's your first response to trouble? Some of us, let's say, you know, you're in a car and you're about to have an accident. You might say, oh, God, but it's not like it's a prayer. It's an exclamation. You might say an ugly word. You need your mouth washed out, but it's an explanation. Something bad happens at work or with a relationship or with a loved one. We want to try to fix it. We want to try to understand it. We want to try to change it. We want to try to get out from under it. But so often prayer is not the first thing we do. But when you know what Jesus was facing, and he knew what he was facing, that he was going to be crucified, a horrific, painful death on the cross, what was the first thing he did? He prayed. Don't you think we can learn something from the Son of God? God in flesh prayed when he faced a problem. What should we do when we face a problem? Everybody say the word pray. Yeah, okay, that didn't sound too enthusiastic. What should we do when we face a problem? Pray. Yeah. If you got your Bibles with you, whether it's electronic or paper, turn over to Ephesians. Galatians, Colossians, Ephesians. I said that wrong. Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, didn't I? Oh, my. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. The Apostle Paul says... They were to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit and the Word of God. And what's he say in verse 18? And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. 
With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints. So he said we're supposed to pray in the Spirit on all occasions, and we're supposed to always keep on praying for the saints. Paul says when we face trouble, when we face trials, this is in the passage of Scripture about the armor of God, that we need to pray. Your answer to your question there, your second little point on your outline to fill in the blank, is that Jesus prayed. And my point is, if it Jesus prayed, how much more should I pray? How much more should you pray? Jesus had the advantage of being God's son and knowing about God. Jesus had the advantage of being sinless and having perfect communion with God. None of us are God's children in that way, and none of us are sinless. And if Jesus prayed, we should too. Let's move on to verse 37. So back to our key text, Matthew chapter 26, verse 37. It says, He took Peter and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Your second question on your outline asks, Who do I include when troubled? Who do I include when troubled? Jesus took his inner three. These guys had special privileges. They had a deeper relationship than the other disciples who were all close to him. But he took these three and it says he began to be sorrowful and troubled. This word troubled is only used three times in the New Testament. One other time in Mark when it's the parallel passage to this one. And then a third time in Philippians 2.26. And it literally means to be deeply distressed. When you are facing a terrible situation that you don't understand how to deal with in trouble, I guess I should ask this question, do you take anyone with you? Some of us want to keep it all inside and handle it all ourselves. We don't talk to our spouse, we don't talk to our friends, we don't talk to co-workers, we don't talk to trusted counselors or a pastor. But what did Jesus do when he was troubled? He took the three guys he knew the best, who he'd spent the most time with, and he took them with him a little bit further in order to pray. That's your answer to that. That next blank to fill in is he took his closest friends. You might think that's a little weird. Jesus, God's son, has friends? Remember, he said to them, I call you friends. He says, you know, and this is that very same night when he said that, you know, you know what I'm going to do. I'm telling you what I'm going to do because you're not just my disciples. You're not my servants. You are my friends. So the first thing we learn from Jesus when we're in trouble is pray. The second thing is we need to share with trusted friends or family. Your third question on your outline takes us to verse 38. And that third question is, how do I behave when troubled? How do I behave when troubled? Verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Go back to Isaiah 53. I said we were going to have it in my sermon, and here it is. We sang almost verbatim or paraphrased those words, Isaiah 53. 
there are a number of passages in the prophecy of Isaiah, written some 600 years before Jesus was born, that are referred to by theologians as the suffering servant songs. Because they're poetry, but they could be put to music as well. But what a terrible thing to be put to music. Suffering servant songs. Isaiah 53 verse 1 says, Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. Is referring to Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And otherwise, he wasn't a beautiful person. He wasn't a powerful person. There was nothing about Jesus that people would go, hey, man, I want to hang out with him. Or I think he'll be the homecoming king. Nothing like that. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men. Ugliness. So we go from the fact that he's not pretty to the fact that he was despised and rejected. And it says he was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one whom men hide their faces. He was despised and not, and we esteemed him not. This is Jesus. Men despised him. Men rejected him. He was a man of sorrows, Scripture says, and familiar with suffering. He was troubled. He says there, if we go back to Matthew 26, 38, it says that he was overwhelmed, that he was deeply grieved. You might write a note for yourself on your outline of Psalm 42 and 43. Go back and read Psalm 42 and 43 today, tomorrow. And you'll see that he's quoting almost verbatim here, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. These are laments, individual laments, where the psalmist is crying out to God saying, I'm in this terrible situation. I need you to help me, God. And Jesus knows these psalms, and he's calling out to God here in this prayer with sorrow to the point of death. J.B. Phillips' translation says, with terrible distress and misery, Philip Weymouth's Old English translation says he was crushed with anguish. Crushed. When's the last time you've been crushed? When something happened that was so painful for you, so burdensome, so wearisome, that you just felt like a puddle of goo or like a bunch of pebbles. You weren't yourself. You were crushed. This is how Jesus was when he was troubled. So this isn't just, you know, I got a flat tire. I'm troubled. This isn't just I bounce a check. I'm troubled. This isn't just, oh, man, I got a cavity. I got to go to the dentist and lay there and get drilled on and pay him money to do that. I'm troubled. This is I'm about to die a terrible, wicked death. I'm troubled. And what did he do when he was troubled? Your next point on your outline says that Jesus was completely honest. What did it say there in verse 38? He said to these three guys who knew him better than any else, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow and to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He wasn't saying, I know I'm about to die. He says, I'm so sorrowful and so troubled, I feel like I'm going to die. 
He was honest with them. He didn't do the, I'm fine, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? He was straight up honest that I am so scared, I feel like I'm going to die. You remember in this passage of Scripture that it says that when he prayed, he sweat drops of blood. That's in Luke, the parallel passage to this one. And that is a physical reality that doctors tell us can happen when you are so stressed and you're squeezing your forehead so much that you can literally burst the capillaries in your forehead and sweat, as it were, drops of blood. This is how troubled Jesus was over the pain in which he was to experience We can think about it as the physical pain, but we got to remember that there's the spiritual separation from God, His Father, the weight of all the sins of the world on His shoulders. He was troubled. Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus was tempted just like us. This is more than temptation like us. This is to the nth degree that Jesus was dealing with. So let's get to your fourth question on your outline. Why do I question when troubled? Why do I question when troubled? Well, it's natural, right? I mean, when anything doesn't go our way, we want to know why. I don't know about you. I want to know why. I mean, uh, why did it go wrong? Whose fault is it? How can I fix it? That's what I want to do. Look at Jesus, verse 39. He says, going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed. So he had all of his disciples. He took three a little further. Then he went by himself a little further than that. And he fell on his face to the ground and prayed. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He's questioning God. Will you, not is it your will, but will you let me not have to suffer this? Verse 42, he went away a second time. My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. But it's still like he's questioning. He's saying, God, why do I have to go through this? I know it's your plan. I know it's redemptive, but... This is going to be terrible. He prayed like this three times. Verse 39, verse 42, and verse 44. And we learn from Jesus that there's value in repeated prayer. Now, he's, he's not babbling like he warned about in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, like just saying the same thing over and over again like he says of the pagans in his day did. This is not a mantra. This is not a chant. This is an honest-to-goodness prayer said in slightly different ways, just like you might do or I might do when we're burdened, that we ask and we ask again in a little bit different way, and we ask a third time because we're trying to make sense of it. We're trying to deal with the weight of everything, and that's what Jesus does, and he sets an example for us of when we are in trouble and when we have questions, where do we take them? We take them to God in prayer. And it's okay to ask more than once. You're asking more than once, frankly, rather than being an indication of your doubt or an indication of your fear, may very well be an indication of your faith, amen, that you believe God can do it and you're going to ask Him again and again and again because you believe we serve a God that can, not a man that can't. So why do I, when, why do I question when I'm troubled? Well, it's human nature. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 5. So towards the back of your Bible in Hebrews. It has that unique title Hebrews because it was written to Hebrew or Jewish believers in Jesus. And it's straightening out some of their unique predicaments of sorting out, okay, um, 
I used to follow all these Jewish laws and customs. Jesus was a Jew and he came to fulfill these laws and customs. So which of them do I still have to do and which of them do I not have to do it? How is it that I'm a Jewish Christian? And that's why this specific book of the Bible was written for them, but it's informative for all of us. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Did you notice that from verse 39 of Matthew 26 to verse 42, there was a slight change. It's almost as if Jesus knows that the cup can't pass from him, that he is going to have to die, and he's resigned himself to do God's will, as terrible as it may seem. Verse 8 of Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5.8 says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. That's for the Jewish folks to say, oh, he's above all the rest. But did you hear that last part? And because he suffered, because he was obedient, he became the perfect penalty for our sins. Jesus is questioning God, and it's okay to ask your questions. But he says here, if you're going back to Matthew chapter 26, and verse 39 and 42 with me, not as I will. In John 12, 49, he said, not my will. John 14, 31, not my will. John 17, 8, not my will. And here again, he says, not my will, but yours be done. What do we learn from that? Your answer is Jesus submitted to God's will. There is nothing wrong with your questions of God. God is big enough for any question you can throw at Him as often as you throw it at Him. God wants you to question Him. And there's nothing wrong with your fear. There's nothing wrong with your doubt. God wants you to turn to Him in faith. And sometimes faith is a process that you've got to grow into as far as believing that God's going to help you through this or take care of you or answer your prayer. But what you see from Jesus is that He submitted to God's will. That he says, okay, God, I know this is a terrible thing in front of me. I'm asking you that this cup would pass by me, but I'm willing to do what you want to happen. And that's ultimately where we've got to become, friends. That we've got to be prayerfully submissive, even to the point of suffering in our troubles, because we realize that God is working something in us through suffering, he keeps the pastor on hell down here. I don't know how he keeps those gigantic muscles where he exercises. But I'll tell you what, he doesn't keep muscles that size without exercise, does he? He has got to lift some weights or do some push-ups or some resistance exercise. He's got to do something. Muscles don't get that big without going through some strain and overload. And because he's done it enough, he knows how to do it to get the maximum results so that he can go when he's in his wrestler outfit and we all go, whoa, look at that guy. Obviously, I don't lift weights like that. (laughs) I've not stretched and strained and pushed my muscles repeatedly To make them look that way. Your faith is like that, friends. 
You've got to push it and push it hard and push it again. And you submit to God's will in the midst of your trouble, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering. And that's when you grow more like Jesus. And that's when you grow stronger. And you walk around with spiritual muscles. Whoop. You submit. Let's get to our fifth question here. How do I proceed when troubled? Come back to verse 39 as we walk through. So going a little further, he fell on his face in the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but you will. So he's saying, God, I'm going to do your will. Now look at verse 40. We haven't read this one. Uh, Well, we read it earlier, but not again here. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Now, give him a break. I mean, it was the middle of the night. These guys were stressed as well because even if they didn't fully understand it, they knew Jesus was preparing them and he's going to go away. They don't understand everything that's happening. So they've got some emotional stress. They just had a meal, um, you know. And so, yeah, their eyes are heavy. They're going to sleep. But notice verse 41. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now, this use of the phrase fall into temptation isn't talking about the temptation to fall back to sleep. It's talking in a perfect tense about ongoing temptation. So he's teaching them something here and he's saying almost like an object lesson. You just fell asleep when you should have been praying with me right here and now. But I'm telling you, you guys, when it's time to pray, you need to have your eyes wide open because temptations and troubles and trials and suffering are going to come against you and you've got to be ready for them. He's continuing in the midst of his sorrow, in the midst of his trouble, in the midst of all the pain he's experiencing, he's still teaching his disciples. What love, how amazing. And he says to them, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Some of your Bibles say flesh. It's not the same word as flesh used as like, you know, the lust of the flesh, uh, i.e. like when we look at something and we want it. It literally is the word soma. It's the word body. In other words, your body will become weak. And when your body is weak, you're more susceptible to temptation. That's one reason you maybe you need to have some boundaries or some barriers. That's why I always try to have, right down there, I have an apple and I have some almonds so I can eat those during Sunday school so I don't get all shaky because I got to have some fuel in me. And if I don't have enough food in me, I get kind of irritable as well. My body is weak, friends. And so because I know my body's weak, I need to do some things like that. Maybe you have that as well. But how do you proceed when troubled? We're going on with our passage of Scripture. What verse was I on? Verse 42. Yeah. He went away a second time and he prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. You see, there's the change. If it's not possible. Verse 43, when he came back, he found them again sleeping because their eyes were heavy. That's a pretty good Greek translation, I understand. Verse 44, so he left them. He didn't even wake them up this time. And he went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same The answer to your fifth question there is Jesus kept praying. Yes, he came back to his friends to try to talk to them, but they were so tired or so out of it, he couldn't have a conversation with them. You know, you've been there before, right? When you've got something on your mind and you call up a friend and you can tell by the way that they answer that they're not with you and you think, I can't drop this on them at this time. They're not going to handle it. So I'm just going to have to go back to me and Jesus in prayer. 
And that's kind of what happened to Jesus here. He comes to them twice and they're asleep and they're not with it. So what does he do? He doesn't throw a fit about them sleeping. He goes back to prayer. He comes out to see them again. They're still asleep and he goes back to prayer. What do we learn from Jesus? Keep praying. When we have trouble, when we have sorrow, when we have fear, when we have worry, when we have anguish, what do we do? Keep praying. Verse 45 and 46. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, so this is like the fourth time he's coming back, but this is the end of this little episode because it's about to wrap up. Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Your next question there is, how do I respond when trouble arrives? Jesus knew trouble was coming. They weren't quite sure trouble was coming, but now it's about to arrive and there's going to be no more doubt for the disciples anymore that bad stuff is going to happen because here comes Judas with a squad of Roman soldiers. There's going to be this little thing. Jesus is going to get carried off in captivity, go through the kangaroo court trials and all this sort of stuff. But how do I respond when trouble arrives? Your answer to that question, Jesus moved ahead. I don't mean to sound trite by that. I couldn't think of another short way to say that, though. I mean, what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't say, okay, God, stop the world. I'm going to get off now. This whole being Jesus thing, healing people, preaching, confounding people with the way I said things, it was cool. But, you know, going through with crucifixion, not going to go there, God. I'm done. No, what did Jesus do? He followed God in obedience even knowing it was going to hurt, even knowing it was going to be painful, even knowing he would be separated from God and never having experienced that before. Jesus kept following. For some of us, it's real easy to be a fair-weather follower. When things are going well, hey, we're all good with Jesus. We're at church We're serving, we're reading our Bible, we're even tithing, you know, we're doing all sorts of good stuff. But then when things go wrong, we're like, okay, God, you must be out to get me, so I'm going to get you, God. I'm not going to tithe anymore, I'm not going to serve anymore, I'm not even going to come to church anymore. Take that, God. That's not what God wants at all. God knows in this life there will be trouble, and God wants us to turn to Him. And God wants us to reach up with a hand of faith and grab his hand and hold on to him tight and follow him through the trouble and walk with him through the trouble and move ahead. You know what I love about Psalm 23? In one word, I even wrote a blog post about it years ago. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Everybody say through. Through the valley of the shadow of death. With God, no matter what you are facing, take my word on it, follow Jesus' example on it, and better than yet, take Psalm 23's word on it, walk through. Let's pray. God, our Father, we will face trouble Most of us are sitting here today and our life's pretty good. 
We don't have any major fears or worries. We're paying our bills. And other than a few things we'd like to change, life is all right. But there's some of us here that have major fears or anxieties or worries, despair, distress, depression. And we all realize that to live life, there is going to be trials, there is going to be troubles, and those can relate and become suffering, even anguish, fear and doubt. So, Father, it's our prayer that we would respond as Jesus responded in the midst of the worst circumstances of life, that we would seek friends that we can trust and ask them to be near us. But most of all, that we would come to you, God, in faith and in prayer, and we would keep coming to you and not stop and keep following you and not stop. Father, would you hold us close in times of trouble as we walk through the valley, no matter what it is? So, God, we pray now if there's a single person here that has understood their own sinfulness and knows they need to trust Christ Jesus as their Savior, they'd make that decision today. If there's any of us here that have believed Jesus as our Savior, yet we've wandered away and we've let sin get in the way and run our lives, that we would repent from those things today and come back to a vibrant and growing relationship with Jesus. God, if there's anyone here you're calling to join our church family, surrender to some ministry, whatever it is, would we do it today as we follow you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.